You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hey, we're continuing in our series. We've been looking at um, Hebrews chapter 11. We've kind of been talking about that hall of faith and uh, really talking again just about the faith, uh, what it really means to walk in faith, to have faith. And uh, you see a lot of those people that were on that video uh, are examples of really what it means to have faith, to walk in faith. And a lot of the people you see in that video, I mean, these are the pioneers. These are the examples. These are the forerunners. Uh, these are people who uh, Hebrews 12:1 kind of talks about comprising that great cloud of witness. And these are the men and women who really kind of learned what faith meant, how to walk by faith, how to please God by faith. Because Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, it just talks about two things. First, must believe that he exists. And then secondly, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, again, not passively, not, you know, occasionally, not, you know, uh, every other week. I mean, it's just diligently seek him. This tells me if God expects that we have faith in order to please him, then it stands to reason to me that God will also make it possible. And I I would say to you, I think easy. I don't think God designs any of this to be difficult. But I believe that God would make it both accessible, that God would make it easy for us to have the kind of faith that pleases him. And those men and women that are listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, they are there as an example for us of what it means to have the kind of faith that both God expects and that pleases him. So Hebrews 11, uh, beginning in verse 1, we find a definition of faith. This again, it's a characteristic of faith. This is what faith looks like. This is kind of how faith operates. Um, And there it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I, I kind of have told you what's going to happen in this series that, that we're doing on faith. A lot of people just do not understand biblical faith. And so I said to you, as, we're, as we go through this series, and, and I'm just going to kind of try to come at this from a number of different angles, using different translations, kind of just using different stories, uh, because for some of you that have really never understood this, I just think as we kind of come at this from some different perspective, lights are going to go on. It did today for one guy, first service, came up to me after service, tears flowing down his face, and he said, I finally got it. Been a Christian for 30 years. Never, ever understood what it meant to have faith that pleases God. Today, the lights went on. I'm like, hallelujah. So again, this is why we're doing this. So there's some of you that maybe you're sitting there, you're just kind of thinking, I'm just not getting this. My encouragement to you is just, you know, hang in there. Uh, Just... 
you know, stick with it. Uh, the light's going to go on here. I, I, I truly believe that's why we're doing this. I think this is why God's led me here for this period is really God wants to turn some lights on uh, for some of you. So again, uh, one of the aspects of faith that we've been talking about throughout this series, faith is not something that can be seen. Faith is heard, okay? Romans ten seventeen says, for faith comes by hearing. It's not seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what God says. Now again, if you can see it, then you don't need faith. And it's the same way kind of with another characteristic called hope. Here's how Paul kind of uh, sums it up in Romans 8 in verse 24. He says, for in this hope, we are saved. It says, now hope that is seen is not hope. Right? It's, it's kind of like faith. Faith is not seen, it's heard. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hope is the same way. Hope that is seen is not hope. So I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I hope Pastor Jim comes to church today. Uh, I don't have to hope that. I, he's here. I can see that. I can hear him. Okay? I don't need hope. Hope is, again, hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, and here's the key, we wait for it with what? Patience. Some of you right now, you are in impatience with God. There's some things maybe that God has promised you. There's maybe some words that God has spoken to you, and you, you just, you're very frustrated with God. Had a conversation with a guy this week, very frustrated with God because what he expected, what he was hoping for has not happened. What is God doing? I said, he's teaching you patience because you're impatient. And the only place that God can teach you patience is to bring you into a place where you experience impatience. And it's in that place of impatience as you wait, as you hope, as you trust in the promises of God that you will begin to develop patience. I mean, if, if God's going to try to teach you patience and he just puts you in situation after situation after situation where God gives you a promise and then instantly answers it, you're not going to learn anything about patience. So when, when you're in those places, you're kind of wondering, what is God doing? Chances are very good God is teaching you patience, endurance, the ability to push through, to hang on despite outward circumstances. We wait for it with patience. So like hope, faith is not seeing, but rather hearing and hearing by the word of God, which Romans ten seventeen says. So Paul's talking here in, in Romans 8. So again, just to kind of give you the context of what he's talking about here concerning, and he's talking about th this promise of God that there's coming a day when our physical bodies, the body you are living in right now, following the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. And that promise that when Jesus comes again, we are going to receive resurrected bodies. Now, none of us in this room have resurrected bodies, okay? We hope 
that it's going to happen in the future someday, and that hope is based upon God's promise as found in the Word. We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. We just know when Jesus comes, one of the things that's going to happen in his coming is we are going to receive resurrected bodies. Now, faith is the confidence. It is the assurance that what we hope for which is unseen at this time, because I've never seen a resurrected body. I mean, I I think I know kind of elements of what that might look like, but, but none of us have ever experienced that. It is unseen, unknown to us, okay? But we have hope in some day that that is going to come, and we're waiting for that with patience. So faith is a confidence that the assurance that what we hope for, which is unseen at the time, will happen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to become reality at some point in the future. Our faith comes when we hear what God says regarding that. This is what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. And we believe without seeing We believe just based upon hearing that what God said is true. And hope just kind of waits patiently in anticipation for what we hear by faith to become reality. Again, we have hope that someday Jesus will come again. We don't know exactly when. We just live in the hope that he will come according to his promise. Faith, which comes by hearing, says Jesus is coming again. Faith is what gives us the assurance, the confidence, the conviction of what we're hoping for. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter 11. So far, uh, the last couple of weeks, we looked at the faith of Abel. We've looked last week at the faith of Enoch. Today, I want to look at the faith of Noah and see what can we learn regarding the lesson of faith from him. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. There it says, it was by faith. And again, faith comes by hearing. That Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things. Now, if you got your Bible, underline this. Because this is really, this is so key to faith. God warned him about things that never happened before. Things that were not ever seen or experienced before on the earth. And it says, by his faith, which comes from what he's hearing God say, Noah condemned the rest of the world in that he received the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a righteousness that comes by faith. Now, One of the most famous ships uh, to ever have sailed is the HMS Titanic. Now, in her day, she was a state-of-the-art ocean liner, 882 feet long, her beam 92 and a half feet, and 60.5 feet from waterline to boat deck. This ship, it had nine decks and was designed to remain afloat despite like two or three other compartments of the ship flooding. Janie and I were in Branson 
um, uh, the last time, and they have a museum down there that's kind of um, designated for the uh, Titanic, and it, it has all these artifacts and replications of all of these things on the Titanic, and just all this information uh, about that, and it's just fascinating. One of the things that they had there was they had a basin of water, and the whole idea of the water was that they cooled the water to the same degree, the same temperature of water that when the Titanic um, sunk, the, the people that, that were uh, put in the water, it, it was that same temperature. And they just encourage you to kind of put your hand, just submerge your hand in that water and see how long you could hold your hand in there. It was amazing, man. You put your hand in there. And I mean, it, it does not take long before your hand just kind of starts aching. And, and then you just kind of begin to imagine what it must have felt like to go into those icy waters of the Atlantic. Now, the Titanic could carry uh, 329 passengers first class, 285 passengers second class, uh, 710 passengers third class. And on her most infamous voyage across the Atlantic, there were on board 2,227 passengers. It was really highly regarded uh, as the Olympic class liners, um, and they were largely uh, thought to be unsinkable. The White Star Company, who designed the ship, made this very bold declaration uh, that not even God could sink the Titanic. And yet on April 15th, 1912, as most of you know, the Titanic sank into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. And of the 2,227 passengers, only 705 survived. Titanic turned out not to be so unsinkable after all. What stands out about Noah and what I want to talk about today in regards to his faith is Noah built an unsinkable ship because he had an unsinkable faith in what he heard God say. So what was Noah's faith? And again, the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what God says and then responding to what you hear God say, what did Noah hear God say, and then what did he do out of response to that? Genesis 6, beginning in verse 9, kind of gives us some insight into that. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at that time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And you remember last week we talked about Enoch, and what was one of the distinguishing characteristics of Enoch is he was someone who walked with God. And so here is Noah, he is from the lineage of Enoch, he also has a very close walk with God. Scripture says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from Cypress. Now again, there were, I don't know that there were boats back in Noah's day. I mean, uh, we're going to get into kind of talking about some of the areas of this that were just completely unknown to Noah. And I would, I would venture to say that maybe a boat, building a boat, what is a boat? So he said, build a boat, use cypress wood, waterproof it with tar inside and out, then construct the decks and stalls throughout its interior, make the boat 450 feet long, 70 feet, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, leave an 18-inch opening, 
below the roof, all the way around the boat, put the door on the side, build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, upper. And he says, look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood. It, and I'll say this again. I'm sure Noah's listening to this. A what? Can you say that again? A, a flood? What is that? Because again, God's speaking to him about things that he had never, ever seen, experienced, or understood. And he said, it's going to destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But he said, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you, your wife, your sons, their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of an animal, male and female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all of the animals. So Noah, and again, underline this. Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. This is, again, you'll, you'll see, this is the ingredient of faith. So Noah hears everything that God has said in his judgment concerning Destroying the earth by means of a flood. Now again, the most striking point leading up to this period of time in world history was that it had never rained. Water had never fallen from the sky. The way God had always watered the earth up to that point was by by a dew coming up from the ground. Now God is going to do something that's never been done. God is going to cause water to now fall from the sky. And not only is it going to rain, but there's going to be so much water that it's going to produce a flood. Both of those concepts were unknown to Noah. Never saw rain, much less a flood. So I'm sure when God used that word flood, Noah's just kind of like, I have no context for that. I don't even know what the word means. Nevertheless, Noah heard what God said, what he was going to do, and what Noah needed to do to prepare, and Noah just heeded the word. And that's, again, that important component of faith. You hear the word, and then you heed the word. We read in verse 7, and... uh, Hebrews, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. I mean, this has never happened before. It's never rained. It's never flooded. So God's warning Noah of of some things that that had never, ever happened. And, And Noah, look at his response. He's moved with reverence toward God. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah did something based on what was not seen as yet. That again, that is a faith that works. That's a faith that pleases God. In other words, Noah heard what God had said, and then he just proceeded to do what God instructed him to do. Once God made known to Noah what he was wanting to do, Noah received it, and then he responded to what God told him. God said it. Noah did it. God said, Noah, build a boat. I'll keep you afloat. Noah responds by saying, okay, Lord, doesn't make a bit of sense. I don't know what rain is. I don't know what a flood is, but I will do it. Simply put, Noah's belief shaped Noah's behavior. He believed what God had said, and then he just acted on it. He did not prove his faith by what he said, 
but by what he did. That's the difference. That is the classic example of faith in action. It's what James is getting at in chapter 2, verse 17, where he said, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being alone. And then he sums it up in verse 20 by simply saying, Faith without works is dead. The proof of what you say is evidenced in what you do. Someone can say they believe God. I mean, the scripture says the demons believe God and shudder. So you can say, you, you, I believe in God, but it is really evidenced in how you behave. Someone can say they believe God, however, until their life gives demonstration of that fact, then it's only words. If a person truly believes in God, they will behave like they do believe. See, faith is not so much an attitude as much as it is an action. Faith is not passive, it is active. Faith takes what God has said, believes it's true, and then acts on it. Faith is only faith when it really kind of goes from from hearing to our heart, into our feet, into our hands, into our mouth. And yet churches today, and I don't, I'm not just talking about our church, but just churches in general, they're filled with people who say, I believe the word, I believe what the Bible says, but their behavior does not authenticate their belief. Someone may say, I believe God answers prayer, but they never pray. Well, well if you don't pray, then you really don't believe God answers prayer. A person can say they believe in tithing, what Jim talked about here this morning, but if they never tithe, they never fail to give God what he deserves, then, then really in actuality, you don't believe it at all. If they fail to do it, their lack of faith, their lack of response, their lack of action indicates they do not believe that God is able to take care of them on the 90% of their income that they do have. For many people, again, it isn't a problem of hearing the word. It's heeding the word that that I think shipwrecks a lot of us. And and all of us struggle. There are things we hear God say, but but oftentimes when when the rubber meets the road, it's we just won't heed what we hear God saying. If something is believed, it will be evidenced in how you respond Last week, we looked at how through the birth of Methuselah to Enoch. You know, Enoch had a son at 65. He named that son Methuselah. And in the naming of that son, the birth of that son, God began this countdown to the coming judgment that Noah is witnessing. And that name Methuselah meant after him, meaning Methuselah, it, meaning the flood, shall be sent. Now Methuselah, he was the prophecy of the timeline for the flood, which God is speaking to Noah and says, when this flood comes, it's just going to destroy, it's going to wipe out humanity and every living being. Noah was the grandson, again, of Methuselah. And he began preaching this message of righteousness, of judgment, of deliverance. As a matter of fact, 120 years. I mean, most of us, 120 days seems like a lifetime. Noah, for 120 years, preached this message of judgment, of, again, deliverance, um, and that preparations needed to be made. I mean, can you imagine? Just stop and think about that. 
the ridicule, the mockery, the scorn that Noah must have faced. I mean, you're talking about stuff that is gibberish to people. I mean, they may have understood the concept of a judgment vaguely, but rain, water falling from the sky, so much water that that it accumulates and that's called a flood. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's crazy talk, Noah. I mean, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're talking about stuff that's never, ever happened before. I mean, can you imagine 120 years of that? I mean, every board he puts on that boat, every stroke of the brush with tar by word, by witness, Noah's saying, judgment is coming. It's going to rain. It's going to flood. God's going to destroy every living being. 120 years of that. I mean, can you imagine the mockery, the scorn, the taunting Noah must have faced? There's a movie out called Evan Almighty, um, and it kind of really underscores, if you've never seen that movie, it kind of does it in a more humorous way where, where uh, he's called in a modern time to build a ship and everybody, neighbors, family, everybody just thinks he's just crazy. And it kind of just underscores again what Noah faced for 120 years. Most of us, when we just crumble after 120 days uh, of ridicule, but, but Noah had to listen to this taunting mockery for 120 years. I mean, Noah's message then was just as unpopular as our message is today. Jesus said, we're living in the days of Noah. I mean, he said that in his day, the same is true for us. We're living today, 2016, in the days of Noah. And we tell people, Jesus is coming again. He came the first time in a manger. He came the first time as the son of God. He came the first time clothed God in human flesh. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to bring judgment upon the living and the dead. Noah says you can escape the coming judgment through the ark. The New Testament says you can escape the coming judgment through faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And yet, society largely rejects the gospel message. They make light of God's invitation to salvation through Jesus Christ. They belittle Christian values in our godly heritage. I mean, a lot of what Noah faced in his day regarding his message is a lot of what we face today in our age regarding our message. I mean, listen to what 2 Peter 3 He says, know this first of all, in the last days. Now again, this is written over 2,000 years ago with 2 Peter. He said 2,000 years ago, we're living in the last days. Jesus said, you're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. He says, know this first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Insulters will come with their insulting. Following after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Where? I'm I'm trying to use my best mocking voice as I'm saying that. Where 
is this Jesus you kind of keep talking about? I mean, you Christians, you've been talking about this for generations, years, decades, thousands of years. We've heard Jesus is coming again. Where is he? Put up or shut up. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, there were people over 2,000 years ago mocking the Christians of that time saying, Oh, you keep talking about this Jesus. And you keep saying he's coming again. Well, where is he? Oh, he's sure taking his sweet time. What happened? Did he fall down and he can't get back up? Is your God asleep? Everything is the same now as it was then. Nothing has changed. And the mockers that Peter is referring to here are the same kind of mockers Noah faced in his day. It's just a different message. Verse 5 continues, for when they maintain this, he says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Notice he's making this connection to the mockers of his day, to the mockers of Noah's day, because he refers to the flood. And Peter just basically makes the point. The people who are mocking the promise of Jesus' return, they're just like those people in Noah's day that mocked the the, uh, coming judgment through the rain and the flood. They rejected, they mocked, they taunted Noah for 120 years as he built the ark saying, where is this, what do you call it, rain? Yeah, rain, where is that? And the, and the, now what is that word? I think it started with an F. Flood, yeah, the flood. Where's that flood you keep talking about? The people in Peter's day, as well as the people in our day. Where is this second coming you keep talking about? Is 2,000 years not long enough? Where is he? And if he's coming, what's taking so long? You've been saying this for generations and generations. Time to come to grips. If he hasn't come back by now, he ain't coming back. So there's this mocking and this insulting of what we believe today. Verse 8 continues. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Now, I love this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. In other words, he's saying, what you're really mocking is you're really kind of mocking that, that, that God's slow, that God is pokey, that, that maybe God is, is lying So the Lord's not slow, at least not in the way you kind of understand slowness. But he says, what you're mistaking for slowness, what you're accusing as God's tardiness or or God's procrastination, he said, really, it's God's patience. You just, you take it for slowness. It's really his patience toward 
you. Why? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I love this because this is the same approach that God used with mankind in Noah's day. Again, Methuselah, what did that mean? I mean, when Methuselah was born and, and he named him, this, this is the one. After he dies, this flood, this judgment is going to come. I mean, it totally changed Enoch's walk with God. It totally changed his perception of God. And, and, and he just began to walk with God in a very close, intimate way. It says, once this person, this, this son, Methuselah, dies, the flood will come. So to so give mankind enough time to respond, to repent of God's coming, warning of judgment. He, he causes, he allows, God allows Methuselah to live for 969 years. Not because God was wanting to be slow or to take his sweet time. He did 969 years. No man ever lived that long on the earth prior to or after Methuselah. It wasn't about God's slowness in Methuselah. It was all about God's patience, his long-suffering, his grace, his mercy. God wanted to give mankind every opportunity to turn, to repent. God didn't allow Methuselah to live for 969 years because he's slow. He did it because he's patient. God's not slow about his coming, even though it's been over 2,000 years ago. God, God's not slow about that. That's not, that's not a means of God's slowness. It is a measure of his patience. God didn't want any to perish in Noah's day. But he wanted them to hear the warning of judgment to change their wicked ways, turn back to him. There were times where God would bring judgment upon people and nations. And as they repented, the, the, the city of Nineveh, they repented and, and God changed his ways. God changed his mind. God said, I was going to, but now I don't need to. I believe the same was true in Noah's day. The same is true today for those of us who would be tempted to mock where is your Jesus? You say he's coming back. Where is he? 2,000 years or more have passed and he isn't here. If he hasn't come back by now, chances are he ain't coming at all. Well, the same is true here. Jesus, he's not being slow about his coming back again, his second coming. Rather, thankfully, God is demonstrating great patience and mercy and long-suffering and grace, giving everyone more than enough time to heed his warning of his coming. Matter of fact, I think that's going to be part of the judgment of the dead, not the living, but I think one of the components of the judgment of the dead is I believe God is going to give mankind every opportunity that they had to hear the gospel message, and they resisted. They rebelled. They refused. 
I will do it my way on my terms. And I believe part of the judgment of the dead is God is going to give you an opportunity to see every one of those opportunities you had to respond but chose not to. I think that is going to be part of that weeping, that gnashing of teeth. Why did I not just say yes when I had the chance? I had a friend one time that told me that she believed that she could really kind of do whatever she wanted in this life. She believed that when she died and and stood before God, God was going to give her another chance. And I said, can you give me a scripture verse on that? She said, well, it's not in the Bible. It's just what I believe. I've met people that believe that. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says, you know, once comes death, then comes judgment. There's there's no second chance. There's no going around this mountain a second time. You have this life, this moment, this opportunity to respond to God's gracious offer. He's not being slow. He's being patient to give you time and every opportunity to hear the evidence, and then to respond. Do I believe what we are witnessing right now as we await Jesus' second coming is not slowness, it is extraordinary patience. Verse 10 continues, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How many people plan for a thief? They just show up when they're good and ready. In which the heaven and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So while God promised he would never destroy the earth again by a flood, and we know that that's what the rainbow represents, that covenant, that promise of God saying, I'll never flood the earth. But he will someday destroy the heavens and the earth with intense heat. I mean, we're kind of in a similar scenario as, as Noah was, aren't we? I mean, God promises that when Jesus comes again, He says he's going to judge the living and the dead, and he's also going to destroy the heavens and the earth with an intense heat. Not with rain, not with flood, but God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth. Again, what is our response to that? I mean, it's just interesting to me, as Noah's preached for 120 years, preached, the only people that responded and believed were Noah and his household. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Let me just stop right there. I mean, if you believe this, you believe Jesus is coming again, and you believe that when he comes again, he is going to judge the living and the dead. The living are going are gonna to receive resurrected bodies. They're, they're going to go with him. They're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. The, the dead, they are going to go uh, into the place of torment for eternity. When he comes, he's going to destroy the earth and all of its elements with intense heat. What is your response to that? Well, the scripture gives us what our response should be. If you really believe this, you should be living holy and godly lives. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Come, Lord Jesus. That needs to be the cry of our heart. 
I know you're being patient, not wishing any to perish, but oh God, how we long for the day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. On that day he will set heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. That's what's coming. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, what is your response? The scripture gives you what your response should be. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. That's our response to this. Live holy, godly lives. Make every effort to live at peace. That your lives reflect a pureness and a blamelessness. And remember our Lord's patience, not his slowness. Not as procrastination, as mockers would say. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. And he says what all of us have come to discover on our own. Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. This will result in their destruction. He says, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. When those mockers, those insulters come questioning, taunting, says be on guard, and then you will not be carried away by the heirs of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, and then he says, Here, here's something else you can do while you're waiting for all of these things to come. Well, you're waiting for Jesus to come back, to judge the living and the dead, to, to destroy the heavens and the earth. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. And you say, Amen. So what was Noah's faith? What was his response to what he heard God say? God said, Noah, build an ark. So Noah built an ark. What is our faith? What should be our response to what we hear God saying to us through his holy word in 1 Peter 3? He says, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And on top of that, just continue growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That needs to be our faith response. Noah built an ark. This is our faith response in what we hear God saying. That is the faith response for those of us who know the Lord. What is the faith response for those of you that are maybe here this morning that do not know the Lord? You need to know that the patience you have mistaken for God's slowness, God's patience is being directed toward you at this very moment. It is for your benefit. He is not slow. Rather, he is demonstrating extraordinary patience toward you to give you every opportunity to turn and to respond. And the longer his patience goes, the more extraordinary it becomes. Because one day, folks, this age, this dispensation of God's grace 
will come to an end. But until then, until Jesus comes back, he's giving every opportunity to those of you who are lost, every opportunity to repent, to turn to him, to confess your sin, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the faith response of those of you here this morning that do not believe in God. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The name of the Lord is Jesus. Let me just close with this. Why is it that Noah found grace in the sight of God? I mean, why did God remember Noah? Why does God bless Noah and his family? The answer is found in Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God about things not yet seen, in reverence built an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. I love it because this verse opens and closes the same way, by faith. God saved Noah the same way he saves everyone, by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. If a man will trust God, God will save him. If a man will believe God, God will secure him. If a man will take God at his word, God will sustain him. Again, Noah does all that he does based on things not seen as yet. That is faith. It is doing what you do not see. It is taking God at his word. If God said it, he'll do it. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, I close with this, said, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of a man walking. First faith, then works, and then faith again, then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish the two apart. So I've laid out really the basic two responses in here for both those who know Jesus and those who don't. And just like the preaching in Noah's day, those that heard Noah had a choice to make. This morning, you got a choice to make. Are you going to call upon the name of the Lord in repentance and confession and be saved? And for those of you that are saved, as you hear this message, are you committed? to just making every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight? Are you committed to growing in the knowledge and the grace of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That is, those are the two responses. So this morning, I just ask you, as again, a preacher, the messenger, like Noah, what is your response to what you hear the word of God say. Father, we just thank you. And Lord, you have set before us two responses. And God, I believe that those responses, those two responses this morning apply to everyone in this room. For those that are unsaved, it is an opportunity. It is a measure of your patience toward them this morning. God, this is a, this is a, means of your grace toward them this morning. The Father, your heart toward the unsaved here this morning is that they not perish, 
But that, God, that they would turn to you. They would confess their sins. They would call upon the name of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. Paul said, if we just confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. That is the faith response this morning of those who don't know you. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to those who just need Once again, to hear that invitation to your grace that is available to each one of us because of what your son Jesus did on our behalf. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would move upon their hearts, that God, they would just respond by saying, yes, Lord, I repent, I turn to you, I confess that you are Lord and Savior of my life. Father, I also pray for those here this morning that have said yes to you. And God, maybe there just are times where we kind of grow tired and we grow disillusioned. Maybe we become weary in well-doing. And maybe this morning, God, your word to us is we just need to recommit. Today is a new day. Today is a, a, a new measure of your grace and mercy toward us. And so, God, would you just empower us through the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit that, God, we would just be found today living, pursuing peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in your sight. God, would you, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, alive and living in us, would you open the eyes of our heart, open our spiritual ears, open our spiritual eyes, that we can continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our response, our commitment to you today. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would just come and move upon our hearts in one of those two ways this morning. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to work in us and through us a faith that is pleasing to you. We just give you all the thanks for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.